We got a special show today, and that's all I'm going to say except for one other thing. Oh, right. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, and this here is the illustrious David Hansen. What's that mean? I don't know. That sounds good, though. I'll it, take it. It does, it does sound good. It yeah. makes you sound, it's like magical. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should have some glitter on when I describe yes. you as illustrious. One, one, one thing I wanted to mention right off the top here, David, for our German viewers and listeners, jetzt sprechen wir auch Deutsch. We Bless have, you. <laughs> thanks, man. Gesundheit is, I think, Thank what you, you meant. Okay, there you go. We now have a, we have a German website, a German language website, uh, fool.de, F-O-O-L.de, easy to remember mm-hmm. for the German speakers in our audience. That's, that's the new place to check out. I uh, figured I'd have to mention that because I am working on fool.de. Congratulations. Thank you. Moving on to the more important things, though, we have a special show today. It's an all Markel show. But before those viewers and listeners, the WTMIers are saying, ah, you guys talk a lot about Markel. I'm not that interested in Markel. Before you tune away, let me, let me, let me just say, I think there's something here for everybody. I, th- I think there's something here for people, uh, for investors who are generally interested in insurers. Mm-hmm. I think there's something here for people who are generally interested in great investors. And for those who just want to invest better in general, there's something here for them too. So Always. I'm excited about this show. And we've got a, a there's a little special bit at the end that I, we'll save for the end. Um, but I mean, you've got to tune into the entire show to get there. So let's get started. Um, Let's start out first with the the what of Markel. What exactly is Markel, and why are we talking about it so much on this show? Mm-hmm. David. You want me to tell you? I, I do want, I want you to tell me, because I'm sh- I probably don't know. A better question would be, why do we talk so much about Markel, and why do you never hear about Markel at the dinner table at Thanksgiving dinner? It's because it's a boring business, Right. They're an, about your own. Thing. They're, they're an insurance. They're an insurance. Nobody company. at my Thanksgiving table wants to hear about Markel. But exactly about it anyway. A boring insurance company, which is a good thing. We like that, and uh, more specifically, a specialty insurer. So they're not going out and writing car insurance like Geico mm-hmm. or Progressive. They're writing hard to write, hard to price insurance, uh, which they can become experts in, uh, demand better pricing for it, and be successful that way. So, give us some of the things that they insure. Give us some examples. Uh, you can think of anything, basically, and they insure it. Right, but, but, but anything that's like... Obscure. Out, out of the ordinary, summer camps mm-hmm. are an example of something that they insure. <clears throat> I think they, they insure... Uh, I want to say it's something along the lines of fertility of horses yes. or horse mm-hmm. breeding. Uh, they insure high-value collector's cars. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I would bet... Now, Jay, Jay Leno, I'm sure, is a, a fan of this show. Jay probably has or, or may have some insurance through Markel mm-hmm. on one of his uh, collector's cars, so that's one of the things they insure as well. Uh, that niche focus is really important, I think, because they're smaller markets, so there's less opportunity there for an insurer, but it allows an insurer to kind of dominate that market and really get to know that market well and potentially be more profitable mm-hmm. than you know a, a broadline auto insurer, right. life insurer. And it's not all like ridiculous things like horse Fertility, well, so but there's also so, summer camps. Not a, a ridiculous thing. No, 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 no. Yeah. But also marine equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their hand in that, and also reinsurance. So they made a big acquisition. Mm-hmm. I guess it was now 2012, around two years ago now, of Altera, which had a big reinsurance arm. Uh, also made an acquisition back in 
was it 2001? Early Terra, 2000s. Yeah. Terra Nova also had their hands in reinsurance there. So the way it's kind of broken out is the, the specialty insurance and also reinsurance are their kind of two main buckets. Mm-hmm. So that's a way to think about what exactly they're doing. And to build on f- from there on why we're talking about it so much, I, I think that, that alone, the, the niche insurance, is, is part of the reason. But you have to do it well. So it's the, the good conservative underwriting that Markel practices. Mm-hmm. If, if you look back, one of the things that insurers put in their filings uh, are, is their combined ratio. That's right. how profitable they are from writing uh, their insurance. Markel is very good at that. That means that they actually make money on their insurance, which um, sounds, like, sounds like it's a no-brainer that every mm-hmm. insurer should make money on their insurance. But actually, the, the, the nature of the insurance business means that you can kind of break even on your insurance underwriting and make it up on the money that you're making right. from investing the, the float mm-hmm. that you're holding for the insurance. And when you say insurance underwriting, we, I guess we can take a step back. That just means the premiums that are coming in, you're paying out less out the door on right. policies, the, exactly. on, on claims there. So just a basic kind of, are you making money doing that? And we have a graph of the combined ratio for Markel. Do we have that graph that we can throw up? Uh, so this is from 1998 to today. And we, I kind of highlighted the 100%. So that's the think about it, the break-even line there pretty much consistently under 100%, five years out of the last 16, over 100%. So that means 11 under 100%. And that's pretty solid, consistently uh, beating the, what, what the industry, what its competitors are, mm-hmm. are doing over time. So a pretty impressive track record. I would say it's a very impressive track record. So you've got that uh, conservative underwriting. And, and when I say conservative, the other thing that means is that generally speaking, they're putting aside more money than they need to mm-hmm. to cover the claims that will eventually be paid out. So what, you, what investors will end up seeing, and, and I don't want to get too wonky into this here, but in, in, the, in the financial reports for Markel, they'll actually end up reversing some of the, some of the provisions that they've, they've put aside to pay out insurance mm-hmm. claims uh, because they're so conservative on that. And you'd rather see an insurer do that um, than the opposite, where they're not putting enough aside and then... Uh, a catastrophe comes or a particularly high incident year comes, and then all of a sudden they're having to set aside a whole lot more that, that was unexpected. Which happens. There's going to be bad things that happen. Bad, thi- bad things happen. That, there you go. I mean, we had that, that, we had that chart up. 2001 was one of the bad years mm-hmm. uh, impacted by September 11 terrorist attacks. So things come out of the blue and can impact the results, and that's where you can see those outsized years of poor underwriting, but it's more important to look at. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think that also those high years back then had to do with the Terra Nova yep. acquisition mm-hmm. as well, um, because they took on Terra Nova. And I think part of the concern, um, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but part of the concern when they took over Altera was that people were looking back mm-hmm. to what happened with Terra Nova and saying, oh, we're going to go through this again. So that's the underwriting. Last thing, great investing. Yeah. We'll be talking more about this through the rest of the show. But uh, Tom Gaynor, the CIO, the chief investment officer of Markel, um, has done a fantastic job investing the float, investing the portfolio at Markel, and we'll get to more of that. So I'll just leave that. Well, there. we can say that's. We can say what it's what different than than most in- insurers. Most insurance companies either are very conservative with their investing, or even outsource the investing mm. to an external manager and pay large fees sometimes. So Markel's a little bit different in the fact that they invest in stocks, take a riskier position, but that's paid off for them. Right. So, so when you look at the, the portfolio of like a, an Allstate, mm-hmm. um, for example, most of that is in bonds and more. And, and 
insurers have to be mostly conservative in their investing mm-hmm. because they need to they need to have that money there to pay out their claims. Um, but most insurers are again like all states portfolio mostly mm-hmm. um, mostly bonds, mostly low risk kind of stuff. Not really taking the the bigger risks you could say that equities present, but well, also not getting those. We're getting. Off, I don't want to get off on tangents again. But when we say most of all states portfolio is in bonds, most of Markel's is in bonds as well. It's just a, a, a larger percentage than normal is in equities, and right. they're trying to push that more into equities. Right, it's not like a giant. Right. One, one other insurer, I guess you can call this an insurer, but one other insurer that has this similar approach to investing float in equities, in other things, building the business that way, of course, Berkshire Hathaway. Mm-hmm. And Markel's model is very, very similar to Berkshire Hathaway's, so I thought we'd run through you know, briefly the, the the similarities of Ber- Berkshire and Markel, but because I think people often look at, I mean, Markel's called Baby Berkshire yeah. a lot of times, and they admit it too. Yeah. They don't hide from the fact that they're trying to copy what Berkshire did. Why not? They've yeah. been pretty successful. But but I thought we'd um, spend a little bit more time on the differences between the two and why you'd invest in one versus the other. But quickly on the the similarities. So you've got you've got the insurance operations first of all and you've got insurance operations that are property and casualty uh largely mm-hmm. and mostly sort of niche and reinsurance so um Berkshire Hathaway's insurance is is large enough now that maybe calling it niche specialty insurance is not really correct um but not like well Geico is broadline auto yeah. <laughs> so they're they're really pretty diversified mm-hmm. in how but it, the core is insurance operations and then taking the float and investing that float in bonds, like we said, but then also in equities. And obviously, Berkshire has built out in a big way into other investments, other companies. Right. Um, Markel, in a similar fashion, does the investing in equities, also has a separate arm called Markel Ventures, where they're actually buying whole companies. Mm-hmm. Small companies, not like Berkshire Hathaway, where they're buying yeah. Burlington Northern Santa Fe, but buying smaller companies and adding it to that portfolio. Now, as far as differences, David, what what are some of the differences here that set apart Markel from Berkshire? In terms of how much each of those buckets contribute to the overall success or failure to the company is the big difference. So just looking at the operating businesses at Berkshire, that's really the story. You look at the railroads, the energy business, that's a large chunk of Berkshire. Markel Ventures, I think it's 1% of revenue. Right now, so relatively de minimis. So very similar structure, but in terms of what makes that company tick and what will make it successful going forward, very different. Markel is still going to be very dependent on being a good insurer, writing mm-hmm. profitable insurance, and investing it successfully. They still have to to do that. Berkshire's moved. Berkshire to, still has to. They do, do that. have to do that, but Berkshire's but Berkshire's moved more to the the form of our operating businesses need to perform well rather than writing good insurance. Yes, it's important, but it's not a make or break thing as much as it is for Markel. Right. If if Markel's uh, fully owned companies knock it out of the park. It's not going to make a huge impact on their bottom line, right? But if Markel's combined ratio sits at a 105 percent for the next 10 years, they're not going to be successful. But you could argue that Berkshire could, and it could still be successful because it's just not as important to the overall performance. That's not unfair. That's not unfair. Uh, I, I would say that, that another difference is in the the leadership of Markel and Berkshire Hathaway. While um, Tom Gaynor has sort of unabashedly said that he's that, that they're following the Berkshire model. 
Gaynor is a good deal younger than mm -hmm. Warren Buffett. So one of the key concerns at Berkshire Hathaway right now is what's going to happen to Buffett, what's going to happen to Berkshire when Buffett and Charlie Munger, for that matter, are no longer around to run the show. Uh, at Markel, you have less of that concern because you know, any, any one of us can step out of the door and get hit by a bus mm -hmm. in the morning. But uh, Tom Gaynor is comparatively a spring chicken, so you've got that as well. The flip side... You know, I always like to disagree with you. I, I know, I know. And I'm, I'm wondering what you can possibly disagree with. <laughs> the there. insider ownership at Berkshire is so substantial. So almost all of Buffett's net worth is tied up in Berkshire. Mm -hmm. The leadership at Markel, yes, they have a good amount invested. They're incented uh, on restricted stock grants that vest over five-year periods. So they have good structure in place. But it's not quite the same in terms of the personal ownership, the inside ownership of, really, of Markel. Do, do, you really, do you really think that that's... I mean, does that... I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying Berkshire, like, Buffett is totally invested in there. He owns, what, 30 to 40% of the company? He owns a lot of the company. A lot of it. Not the same story at Markel. Just saying. Just that's, saying. That's just disagreeing with you. I don't see, I don't see Tom Gaynor going anywhere. In, in, terms of, in terms of upside, I would say Markel definitely has more okay, so, upside. Okay, so that, right? that's, that's the next part of this question, is investing. What are the differences between investing in the two, and, and who, should, who should be investing in, in either or? Is there a clear answer between the two? I think it's clear that Markel has more upside, but it's also riskier, right? Right. It's, it's I think a, that's no question. It's a fraction, literally a fraction, of, of Berkshire's size. Berkshire is... Well over $100 billion, right? I don't keep uh, up. Uh, in terms of market cap? Market cap, yeah. $300 billion. What's... Uh, Markel, $8, bi 8 billion. Yeah. So, so literally we're talking a small, small fraction. I don't know that w w we expect Markel to get to Berkshire's size no. uh, at, at any point. Right. But a lot more upside. But you were also saying... A lot more downside, right? I mean... What's, what's the addition? What's the downside? Why well, is there more downside there than Berkshire? Because it's more dependent on that insurance operations. If that doesn't have good underwriting and investing isn't as successful, Tom Gaynor has been absolutely successful, mm -hmm. but he still doesn't have the track record that Warren Buffett has of 50 years of being a successful investor. I mean, there's still questions That's of whether, whether they can continue to replicate their results here. He's been, I think he's been at Markel since 2001, which is a pretty good sample size, but it's not the same as what we have with Buffett. I don't think there's any question that Berkshire is more secure financially. Um. So, for those investors looking for more upside, willing to take on more risk, Markel is maybe the better bet. For, for Berkshire, is, is that just for conservative investors who, who just want a stable return? Is that the, the kind of approach there? On the first half, yes. I don't know. What do you think? Well, um, yes, definitely on the first half. Uh, on the second, I, I think Berkshire can make sense for a lot of different portfolios. I yeah. think if what you're looking for is pure upside, then Berkshire's probably not your play, particularly now. I mean, the, the valuation is still, I think, reasonable, but not overly attractive. Um, that's, the way, that's the way I'd put it. Yeah, it just depends on what you're looking for. What, what's clear is that neither of them are for income investors because just like Berkshire, Markel does not pay a dividend. Good point. As Buffett has said in the past, though, about the dividend, one thing, of course, that you can do is buy some shares, and mm -hmm. when you need some income, sell part of your share ownership. Um, Tom, Gaynor, Tom Gaynor's investing. We're going to get a little bit more into Tom Gaynor's investing. Mm -hmm. the, technically, the portfolio at Markel is managed by Markel Gaynor Asset Management. Uh, so when you're looking for the, the filings that show what Markel owns, 
you got to look up yeah. for the 13Fs uh, under Mark Helgainer Asset Management. Uh, the top, I've, I've got a list of the top stocks in that portfolio right now. Uh, CarMax is number one. Then you've got Berkshire Hathaway, both A and B shares in there. Um, is I, I forgot to check this, but do you know, is Berkshire Hathaway, if you combine the A and B shares? I think it's their biggest holding. Largest holding. Uh, Walgreen is next. Diageo after that. Brookfield Asset Management. Fairfax Financial. And Disney. Uh, David, I, I put together some, some buckets here that these stocks seem to fall into, these companies seem to fall into. But I'll let you go first and see if you, you can guess the, the buckets. Same conclusion I did. Financials and consumer goods-ish? Yeah, consumer staples? That's, that's not unfair. Would you call whiskey a staple? I would call whiskey a staple. For some people. I don't, I don't drink, but I think that's pretty much a staple. For some people, yes. For Conglomerate financials, I guess, is the, the, the theme I'm seeing here with Fairfax, Brookfield, and, and Berkshire. Well, what I was thinking is, I guess CarMax is a little bit outside of the outside of the box here. Um, I think part of that is because CarMax is headquartered right near where, mm-hmm. where um, Markel is headquartered. So probably some good familiarity with that business. Um, it was an attractive business model, I think, that, that Gaynor just identified early on. So with Berkshire, Brookfield, and Fairfax, you've got kind of these... Um, financial jockey plays, conglomerates building these businesses um, in, in kind of a similar way to what Markel is doing. So, yeah. so um, uh, Gainer would understand the business model and approach there. And then Walgreen, Diageo, and Disney, you've got these sort of big brand name uh, companies that I think for I, Walgreen, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit more iffy on, but Diageo and Disney... For, for certain, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, I have very little concern saying, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Diageo, their brands are going to be just as prevalent. They're going to be doing years. the same thing they're, they're doing be, now. Yeah. Disney, Disney, pretty much the same thing. Um, Walgreen, again, I'm not as sure, but still, big brand, recognized brand, consumer goods, um, relatively few complexity issues mm-hmm. there. In terms of his track record, so he owns all these mm-hmm. companies, in the latest 10K, they had the equity portfolio, the weighted average 10-year return mm-hmm. for the equity portfolio versus the fixed income portfolio. Equity portfolio, 12.4% annual return. Fixed income, 4.4 over that 10-year period. And again, I said Gainer started, I think, 2001. So this is capturing his, his time managing the portfolio there. So you can see why they lean towards equity when it's tripled the return almost of fixed income. That's also, that's for ending 2013, right? Correct, yeah. So when we think about that time period... It's a cycle for the, there. ...for the stocks, mm-hmm. a 12% return is pretty darn impressive to be able to, to, be able to notch that when we've had uh, the financial crisis that we did. I think it's outperformance of 3% a year, maybe? Maybe in that range, maybe even a little bit more. And that's, that's including the fact that I think Markel was pretty heavy in financials going into the financial mm-hmm. crisis. So the fact that he's gotten that sort of a return, having invested in financials, having gone through the financial crisis, and generally having this lackluster economy beyond that. And even if it is only color a, me, even color if it was only, David. Even if it was only 2%, 2% outperformance, don't sleep on that. I mean... That makes a big difference. Don't sleep on that. That makes a big difference. 2% a year outperformance. Yeah. It's a huge difference. Give that 20 or 30 years and you're talking... Do it. Big money. All right. Four four lessons 
four lessons that we can take take away from Tom Gaynor and his investing. I came up with two of them. I don't know if you did your homework and came up I with did. two. I did. But I will I will start off with one of them. Uh, one of them is you don't necessarily have to swing for the fences. As we were just discussing, track record. Tom Gaynor's track record is is really impressive. Over the last ten years, twelve percent. That's w- well above what the S and P has done over that time period. And again. We looked at these companies that uh, Markel has a big ownership stake in, Berkshire Hathaway, Walgreens, Diageo, Disney. I mean, these are well-recognized companies, well-recognized brands. It's not like he's investing in penny stocks or, you biotechs. know, yeah, bi- small biotechs that are sort of binary outcomes. So y- you, don't, you don't have to swing for the fences to get really good mm-hmm. investment results. True. You want to give your other one or you want to go back and forth? No, no, you want we'll to ping-pong it? I, I want to see what you came up with before. I guess it's not a super original one. Right. We've talked about it before. But he, he's one of these value investors who also likes to look at management. There are some that say, I don't want to look at management. They're going to skew my opinion. Mm-hmm. They're going to woo me one way or another. He's on the side that says management's very important. The culture of the company is something he likes to look for because he sees employees as they get to choose where they work. And you want them to work at an organization that they care about. Uh, so he focuses on management. You mentioned CarMax right there in Richmond has said multiple times that he has great confidence in the management to figure it out there. So that's a good lesson. I think, I think at one point in my life I had this, this thought that I'd be like this Dune-style Dune number cruncher. Like, I don't care about the personal issues and all of that soft stuff. Just look at the numbers. But I, I, I would agree with that. I think management's just so important, particularly when you're thinking about owning for a long Long period of time, and on that note, long-term ownership. Uh, Gainer clearly knows what it means to own a stock for mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, the stakes in CarMax, Berkshire Hathaway, Diageo, Disney, uh, Exxon is also in the portfolio. Marriott's all in the portfolio. All of those positions, and those are major positions in the portfolio, go back at least ten years. It's a long I mean, time. Yeah, when we live in a day and age when mutual funds are turning over roughly 100% or more than 100% of their portfolio on an annual basis that Markel and Gaynor uh, have these positions in the portfolio for 10 years. That's impressive. Yeah. And again, you look at those results. You look at those results. They're over a 10-year time period, 12% per year. That's all I've got. That's all i got to say. Drop the mic on that one. <laughs> but, but my, final, got, my final one uh, in terms of not selling is, I think we heard Tom Gaynor say this last year, is, the fact that he looks at opportunity costs in terms of what do I do with that money after I sell, it's something I hadn't really thought about too much mm-hmm. until he said it. But someone's like, well, when are you going to sell CarMax or something? He's like, well, then it becomes a question of what do you do with that money? It's not just a question of CarMax, it's not in our valuation anymore, sell it. Right. You have to say, well, do we want to pay taxes on it? Do we want to buy something else with it? Do we want to buy back shares with it? So the fact that he looks at the decision but then takes the next step and says, what are the, what's the opportunity cost? What do I do with that money once I have it? Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good lesson to be learned. And that's, a, that's an interesting thing, too, with the tax issue with CarMax, that when you sell, you've got to pay the capital gains tax there. So any other opportunity that you're going to put that into has got to meet an additional hurdle of making up that, that tax hit as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, finishing off, as we always do in the Twitter sphere, mm-hmm. David, what's our first tweet? Our first tweet is from us, at... TMF it Financials. It says, we're heading down to Markel headquarters to have lunch with Tom Gaynor tomorrow. Any questions you want us to ask? This was the surprise that I alluded to at the, yeah. at the beginning of the show. Everyone's going, oh, now I see why they did yeah, that. Yeah, connected it. Yeah. You see, started out with that, connected at the end. It's mm-hmm. full circle. Yep. Uh, so WT Myers can tweet at us. 
That's at TMF Financials. Or they can email us, WTMI at fool.com. Uh, we're gonna, we, we'd like to bring at least one, maybe two questions from the WTMI community to Tom Gaynor mm-hmm. and see, see what he has to say about, uh, about those questions. And we'll give you credit for it. We'll say this was your question. We will, yes. We will, your name will be presented to Tom Gaynor. Tom, this is a question from our WTMI listener. Yeah. X. I have yeah. one more announcement. Okay. This is a surprise you. You didn't know this. I, I didn't. I didn't. I'm shocked. This is shocked face. This, this Where the Money Is episode will hit the one millionth download of all time. No kidding. We made it. We did. So first I, we had 100 episodes. Now we are about to hit one million all-time downloads. Do we need new sweatshirts for that? We probably do. <laughs> I think we deserve new sweatshirts. So one, one million. million downloads. It should happen this afternoon if my calculations are correct. Well, you told me it was coming. You didn't tell me it would be today. That's very exciting. There you go. Um, if I can get the camera over here for just a second on that announcement, of course, we have to thank the WTMI audience for that. We're not that da- well. We are downloading the show, and my mom's downloading the show, and I think she's downloading it a few times. But I know to get to a million, there are a lot of you out there that have been listening to the show from the very beginning, uh, joined in halfway through, but have been Great listeners have been a great community, uh, sending us tweets, sending us emails. So we want to thank you uh, for your continued listening and viewership. I think that's all we got today, David, right? Yes, sir. That's our show for today. I'm Matt Copenheffer. Right here next to me, still illustrious, David Hansen. Uh, We'll see you next time.